Welcome to episode number 15 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan Nold, your host, Bible reader and the pastor of Calvary and State College, Pennsylvania. And this podcast, More Than Bread, is all about the value of the Word of God. We need the words of God for life even more than we need bread. In today's episode, we're starting to read the Gospel of John. So let me first just give you a brief introduction to John's Gospel. John was one of the inner core of Jesus' team. We recognize those three names together, Peter, James, and John. And, and most consider John to be Jesus' closest friend, the one referred to in the Gospels as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a significant leader in the early church, later a leader of the church in Ephesus, and, and the writer also of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. His gospel contains many personal touches that come from eyewitnesses, like the house at Bethany being filled with the fragrance of the broken perfume jar. John's gospel is different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which simply means that they are seen together. The, the synoptic gospels overlap, sometimes exactly in verses and stories. They, they probably depended on each other for source material or perhaps had a document in common that we don't know about. But, but John's gospel stands alone. His gospel is, is more spiritual, more symbolic than the others. You might say it's more theological. In fact, some of the richest theological conversations and teachings about Jesus take place in John's gospel. He focuses on a series of miracles or signs and a series of statements that Jesus made called the I Am Statements. The signs and the statements point to Jesus' divinity, his mission, and his role in coming to earth as the Messiah. So watch for them. Watch for the signs and watch for the, the I Am Statements. At the end of John's gospel, he clearly states his main purpose for the book in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that believing, you may have life in his name. So let's jump into John 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and that word in verse 14, I love this picture, that, that, that word for dwelt. These are my words in verse 14. It, it means to tabernacle. And it, it literally it means he pitched his tent. There's this a picture of intimacy. Jesus came to live in our midst, not in a gated community or a walled house. He, he lived right in the midst of us. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory 
The glory is of the only Son, full of the, from the Father, full of grace and truth. My words, the glory of Jesus is full of grace and truth. You know, it seems like we tend to err towards one or the other. We, we kind of emphasize one or the other. Some people are grace people. Some people are truth people. But the glory of Jesus was that he was full of both, full of grace and full of truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks above before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptized? And if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And, and just a, a word, a pause. I, I had the most amazing experience a, a number of years ago. The very first time we took a trip to, uh, um, to Israel and had the opportunity to baptize a group of people who came with us in the Jordan River. That was a, an amazing experience to, to picture and to imagine Jesus there and John there um, in the Jordan. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to him, what what, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you there. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. My words, can you imagine how foolish they felt drawing the water out and taking it to the master of the feast? But they took it. Verse 9, When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So my words, don't miss that. That was the first of the signs that were meant to show people that Jesus is the Christ and that if we believe in him, we'll find life. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. My words, I, I, love, I love that verse. I, you've seen that verse uh, you know, on stadium walls and, and banners. You, you maybe have even memorized it. For God so loved the world, all of us, everybody. I mean, who is not included in the world? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. I mean, who is left out of whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Amazing, amazing love. Amazing plan. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be seen clearly that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. And and John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, but he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass 
Get those words, my words here. He, he had to pass. It was necessary. The Greek word is day. It means it was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. Now, I want you to understand something. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. There was a way to go around. In fact, most of, of the Jewish people would go around Samaria, not through it, because they despised the Samar- Samaritans. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, verse 5, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will become in him. That water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, and and he'll never be thirsty again. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to you, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me just pause for a moment and say this this is so important. Jesus is saying the time is coming and now is here when, when it's not about the place. It's not about the place that you worship. It's about who you worship. And when you worship in spirit and truth, worship can take place alongside a well on a dusty, hot day with a woman who who's had five husbands. This is true worship. Later, Jesus will say that the food that I have is the food that comes from doing the will of my Father. When we do the will of our Father, it's worship. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples come, came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, did somebody bring him something to eat? But Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Uh, let me pause for a moment again. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Does that mean that when we don't do the will of the Father, when we don't do, when we don't accomplish his work, that, that it's like a famine for us? We're starving because we're not doing the will of him who sent us. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. There was an awakening in the town. (laughs) Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the very hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign, the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? (laughs) Let me pause for a moment and just just suggest there's a certain irony in that question. Like, what is the guy going to say? No, I don't want to be healed. I've been here for 38 years. I just, I just, I just like it here. (laughs) And yet, the reality is, Jesus asks us that question all the time because because sometimes there's something in us that doesn't want to be healed. We we kind of want to stay in our sin and in our sickness. But verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. 
And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let me pause again for a moment. Have you noticed how often there's this battle between Jesus and the religious leaders because of what he did on Sabbath, specifically healing people on the Sabbath? Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of, of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own, Jesus said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to that truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me is himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? 
you know, one of the, the greatest or at least most prolific theologians that ever lived was Karl Barth. He was once asked to be a guest lecturer at the University of Chicago Divinity School. And, and at the end of a captivating closing lecture, the president of the seminary announced that Dr. Barth was not feeling well, was quite tired. And, and though he thought that Dr. Barth would like to be open for questions, he shouldn't be expected to handle the strain. And then he said, therefore, I will ask just one question on behalf of all of us. He turned to the renowned theologian and asked, of all the theological insights you've ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of them all? I mean, this was the perfect question for a man who had r literally written tens of thousands of pages of some of the most sophisticated theology ever put into print. The students held their pencils right up against their writing pads, ready to record whatever Dr. Barth would say, the premier insight of the greatest theologian of their time. Karl Barth closed his tired eyes, thought for a moment. Then he half smiled, opened his eyes and said, the greatest theological insight that I have ever had is this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> you know, John knew Jesus. In fact, if it could be said of anyone, he was Jesus' best friend. It could probably be said of John. He, he was part of Jesus' inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. At the end of his life, Jesus entrusted his mother to John. John knew Jesus. And in the beginning of his gospel, John writes, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And then a few sentences later, John wrote, and the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, if you're not familiar with true Christianity, this may come as a shock to you, but, but true Christianity is not simply an invitation to become a better person. It's not primarily a program for cultural reformation. It's not a political party, nor is it simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an invitation to live the life you've been seeking by connecting with Christ. You know, one of the reasons I love Calvary's mission statement is because it identifies three of the most common longings of the human heart. We have a longing to make a difference, a longing for community, and a longing for Christ. And so often we fail to realize that the deepest longing in our heart is this longing for heart-to-heart -heart connection with our Creator. When, when we can't name the hunger that drives our hearts at, at the heart of our hunger is Christ. And this is where it starts. The focus on John's gospel is Christ, the Son of the living God. We'll read of miracles and signs and and, and for that day, seemingly outrageous statements about his identity and role. But these signs and, and statements are more than miracles and insights. They, they're meant to reveal something about God. Don't focus so pointedly on the signs that you miss the one to whom the sign points. See, finding life is all about Jesus. It, it's this invitation to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, to become like Jesus. It's all about Jesus because the word Jesus, the word gives life. This man who claimed to be God, who lived as a servant, died like a criminal and was resurrected as a king. This man who is called the word, the word of God, God in the flesh, the God who speaks. <laughs> it's almost like God speaks and every time he opens his mouth, Jesus comes out. 
Now, if you know anything about the Jewish people in the time of Christ, you know that they considered themselves to be a people of the book. Nothing was more important than the book, the Word of God. Their teachers of the book would be comparable to today's sports stars or CEOs. Everyone wanted to be one because nothing was more important than the Word of God. The cultural love and tradition of honoring the Word of God word of God above all things sets the stage for John's words in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And we cannot read his words there for all they're worth without imagining John steeped in the tradition and the honor of scripture. And then writing, in the beginning, the word already existed and the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's active and alive. It sets the lines and it shapes our hearts. But, but there's more because it's not just a book. The word became flesh. John wrote later, it became flesh and lived in our midst, the glorious son of God. In other words, the Word of God is the Son of God. Jesus is the Word of God. It's not just about a book. It's about a person, the person, because there's nothing without him, and all life flows from him. It's it's not just about knowing the truth. It's about loving the one who is true. It's not just about finding the way to live. It's about finding the author of life. Listen, we don't value Christ if we don't value the Word. I've seen time and time again when people who love Jesus fall out of love with his word, over time they fall out of love with Jesus. See, John calls us to be a people of the book in love with the word. Man, don't study scripture and miss Christ. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was saying in John chapter 5, the end of our reading? He was talking to a group of religious leaders, people of the book, and he said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, and you refuse to come to me to receive that life. I mean, don't miss that connection, this connection between Jesus and the word. This connection goes beyond metaphor into the land of mystical. It goes beyond symbolic into the land of supernatural. There is this connection between Jesus who is called the word and the word which we call our Bible. It's almost like God speaks and every time he opens his mouth, Jesus comes out. You can't love Jesus if we don't love the word. So here's what I want you to do for just a few moments. I just want you to imagine as we close, that you're with Jesus. You're sitting by a fire in a little cabin or taking a walk in the afternoon on the beach or on the path with the snow gently falling, cup of coffee in hand, and you simply say, Jesus, speak. I'm listening. Jesus, speak. I'm listening. I want your words to remain in me as I remain in you. Jesus, speak. I'm listening. Would you pray with me? And in prayer, I just say, Jesus, speak, for we are listening. Spirit of God, would you open up the life of Christ? Would you enroll us in the school of Jesus? Would you cause us to be Jesus apprentices who long to hear the voice of our master, our teacher, our savior, our king, our friend, our big brother? Jesus, speak, for we are listening. Would you give us a hunger in our hearts for more of your word? Would you open up your word to us so so that like we read the other day, our, our hearts would burn within us? Jesus, speak for we are listening.
And I pray that we would not just be listeners, but we would learn. We would learn the principles and the truths. We would meditate upon your commandments and and your ways, your guardrails for life. And, And that we would not only learn, but we would lean in, that we would respond, that we would be doers of the word, not listeners only. But in this moment, Jesus, we say, would you speak? For we are listening. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.